Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, a podcast for translators by translators, bringing you simple strategies to build better habits. In each episode, we'll focus on specific habits for translators in various stages of their careers. If you're a translator who enjoys learning about habits to improve your business and lifestyle, then this is the podcast for you. We're your hosts, Madalena Sanchez-Zampalo and Veronica Demichelis. Like you, we are professional freelance translators trying to balance the challenges that come with building a career and maintaining clarity and boundaries between work and personal life. We hope you'll join us in this conversation about smart habits and discover some simple strategies you can apply today to help you build your career and achieve the lifestyle you desire. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators. This is episode 75. Today we're thrilled to share with you a concept that we know is something our colleagues are interested in. In fact, we have not only one guest to share about this topic with us, but two who are here to tell us more about it. We're excited to be sharing the microphones today with our colleagues and friends, Jamie Hartz and Natalie Reese, who are here to chat with us about translation collectives. Jamie Hartz is an ATA-certified Spanish-English translator who specializes in legal and commercial translation and transcription. She's been a freelancer since 2013, and in 2016, Jamie helped found the Black Squirrel Translator Collective, which currently consists of herself and three fellow alumni of Kent State University's Master's in Translation program, Mary McKee, Hannah Sampson, and Nancy Cabrera. And Natalie Reese is a full-time freelance translator and copywriter specializing in the creative industries, which include travel and tourism, art and culture, leisure and wellness, and fashion and beauty as well as the humanitarian field, including human and social rights and women and children's health. She runs Natalie Reese Translations in Northwood and works from English into French. Natalie is also a member of the CIOL, an associate of the ITI, a member of the Society of Authors, and she acts as publicity officer for the ITI London Regional Group. Natalie also co-founded the Creative Translation Hub with Carolina Casado Barras and Adriana Tortorielo a small collective of translators focused on the creative industries and working mainly from English into French, Spanish, and Italian. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, Jamie and Natalie. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Welcome, Jamie and Natalie. I'm really excited we're recording this um, episode on this topic. It's uh, very uh, near and dear to my heart as well, because I'm a member of the Russian translator collective called the Arctic Fox, uh, and we were inspired to create it um, after we heard um, the story of the Black Squirrel translator collective. So thanks, Jamie, for that. And I cannot wait to hear both of your um, experience with being a member of the collective. So first, we'd love for you both to tell our listeners and colleagues about yourself and your business. Um, and let's start with uh, you, Natalie. Okay, um, so I'm, in, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about um, my business individually and also with the collective. So individually, I run Natalie Reese uh, Translation and I'm an English uh, to French translator and a French language copywriter. Uh, as the collective, um, since this is the topic of today's podcast, I am the co-founder of the uh, Creative Translation Hub, along with Carolina Casado Paras for Spanish and Adriana Tortoriello for Italian. But we'll talk about the collective a little later. Uh, today, I work in two main fields, as Madalena said, 
The first is international development. And the second is the creative industries. Um, although those two fields are very different, um, I find that both specializations require um, excellent writing skills, and that's what I aim for. Um, I have about 25 years of experience in translation, um, 15 full-time, 10 part-time when my children were growing up. And um, I have to say, I still get the same kick as when I used to, when I started, which I think is probably a good sign. Basically, initially, I specialized in business because this is what I studied at university, and it was mainly finance, economics, marketing, and HR. And it's also what I um, taught when I arrived in the UK um, at the Alliance Francaise of London. And I found that this experience gave me an advantage because I was in contact with business people every day teaching them French, but obviously uh, learning from them. And it was, uh, you know, bankers, uh, marketing managers, HR directors, etc. cetera. Uh, but during that part of my career, even though I was translating mainly in business, I also got the opportunity to work in other fields that I really enjoyed. For example, art and culture. And um, I was lucky enough to translate two art books uh, quite early in my career. And also all things lifestyle related that I really enjoy and could read about endlessly, you know, like travel, beauty, fashion. And so I turned a little bit more towards um, this field. And the, the main reason for this shift was that when machine translation post-editing started to become real and more present when I noticed that at translation conferences, uh, people were talking about it. Um, I looked into it and I realized that it's it was not what I wanted to do. Uh, I liked translating and I didn't enjoy editing machine translation. I simply love the um, the gymnastics of translating, if I may call it like this. I love the, 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 the state of flow I experienced during the act of translating. So I decided that that was the um, way my career would go. So I did everything I could to get better uh, in terms of writing skills. And I did uh, a course in transcreation, in marketing, uh, SEO translation and two, two, no, three years ago, I also did, um, I qualified as a copywriter. So, mm. you know, basically I decided to leave the machine behind without me yeah. and then to be a little bit more human. Mm. That's a great approach. I love it. Uh, Jamie, what about you? Yeah, so I um, currently offer three main services. I do Spanish to English, translation, editing, and transcription. And um, that's like Natalie was saying, I have kind of an individual side to my business and then the collective side as well. So I'm, I'll be very curious to hear more about um, how Natalie's uh two sides of the business breakdown and, and what that looks like for her collective. But essentially, I own Tilde Language Services, and I personally offer Spanish to English translation, editing, and transcription services. And I um, subcontract 
to my wonderful colleagues for English to Spanish translation and editing services, as well as transcriptions. So that is actually one of the main ways that my business has evolved over time. Um, I started out offering translation and editing services, Spanish to English, to a lot of agencies. That was around 2013 when I began to freelance part-time. And then um, when I finished the master's degree at Kent State, which is a big part of the Black Squirrel Translator Collective story, I began full-time translating and editing, and not long after that started to transcribe as well. Um, transcription has been a great add-on service, I guess I would call it, to um, Tilde Language Services. I find that a lot of people don't love to transcribe within our um, TNI world. It's not super popular, and, and I can completely understand why. It's kind of tedious. You have to have the right tools. It's a little exhausting. Um, you know, the headset hurts your ears, etc. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, it's something that I have really enjoyed and have found to be a great way, um, not only to augment my income, but to get my foot in the door with different clients. And so, um, like I said, I kind of started out working with a lot of different agencies and now have um, branched out more into direct client world, um, partly through more further specialization into international and foreign trade and logistics, more specifically into legal translation as well. So um, I kind of have made my marketing focus more on law firms and DA's offices, courts, and so on, government agencies. Um, and I found that when I got certified by ATA, I began to see a lot more requests from individuals for personal document translations which is definitely along the lines of, um, you know, what I do as a legal translator as well. So that's been great. And then on the, the um, collective side of things, the, the collective has certainly evolved over time as well in so many great ways. Um, and I, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little later, but uh, I think that one thing is that each of us in the collective have um, specialized further into our chosen fields. So um, I, I don't think the other members of the collective offer transcription services, but many mm -hmm. of them are instructors or teachers. They focus on medical translation and have, uh, say, medical editing focuses and things like that. Um, so that's been a great way that the collective has been able to support each other and also kind of a good way to refer work to each other because, you know, if I'm focused on legal and I get a request for medical I have a ready-made group yeah. of people that I can refer those things to. That's wonderful. Well, um, since you both have your own businesses and are part of uh, collectives, uh, we thought that we should kick this conversation off um, by talking a little bit about smart habits, which is the topic of our podcast. So we talk a lot about smart habits, um, which are those things that help us in our work and everyday life. So we're curious to know what are some smart habits that have been crucial in your careers? And Jamie, let's start with you this time. Sure. Um, something I've learned about myself, I think I've always known this, but it's become more evident uh, the longer I freelance is that I'm a very visual learner. And so the number one thing that keeps me organized is writing things down. If I hear something or I think it in my head, I don't remember it unless I write it down. So I have a kind of a whole host of different ways to track those things. For example, I have a Trello board where I track long-term business mm -hmm. goals. I have um, an invoicing system called Xero where I track my invoices and I list all of my tax information and it kind of pulls from my 
business um, bank account to show me where I've spent money throughout the year. And then I have a sp project spreadsheet for my own projects. Um, and, and all of that put together helps me to stay organized. Mm, I love it. Natalie, what about you? I'm afraid I'm not always the best um, at being organized, um, but I try. Uh, <laughs> and, and like Jamie, I quite like paper. And uh, but I've got a few a few tools as well online. But I think in terms of habits, I see habits more as things that I do on a regular ba basis for for my business. And um, one thing I do on a regular basis is. Um, reassess my business so I see where I am um, in terms of income in terms of CPD in terms of um, you know all sorts of things like this so you know I try to to do a little um, check up on things and uh, I find that it is a good habit to keep me on track and the other thing I do um, is to do some marketing and I do marketing every every no almost if not every day but certainly every week and even when things go well uh, I tend to do some uh, I, I like going to networking events I, and if I've got a just 15 minutes I may be nudging a dormant client or uh, I interact with people online so you know I've, I've taken this habit of of doing a little bit of marketing every day or every other day <laughs> that's wonderful i love to hear that and i like i think it's really smart too to mention that if you, even if you only have a few minutes you do something every day and um that's a really key thing to stay consistent um so between your businesses your volunteering and your families there is a lot to keep track of and to follow through on so we were wondering if you have any systems processes or habits in place that help you stay organized um and if so what are they uh natalie let's start with you on this one um systems to be organized um, I mean, I, I use um, Google, the Google suite for all sorts of, of you know, uh, documents. I also use um, Asana, but it's all it's mainly with um, some of my clients that I use uh, Asana mm -hmm. and and other tools. Um, personally, um, I mean, I'm, I'm as I said, I'm not the best at uh, organization. Uh, so maybe Jamie will be a better source of information on that one. <laughs> uh, I don't have too much else to add, uh, but but I I try to take advantage of the technology that's available. And it's hard because that's constantly changing and I don't want to constantly change my organization strategies, right? <laughs> um, but two key key components are my Google Calendar, which is my lifeline. Um, I put all of my projects in there and then they're, they're constantly being rearranged throughout the day to, to determine, you know, I needed 15 minutes to respond to an email here. So I'm going to shuffle this around and I have a meeting at this time. Um, but that's kind of what I look at at the beginning of each week and the beginning of each day. And, and again, I'm a visual person, so it helps me to visualize my time. Otherwise, I think that I would you know, just go throughout the day floating about from project to project, and I would not get a clear idea of what needed to um, needed to get done in the day. You know, I would fall behind on 
various tasks. So I use the um, calendar, the Google Calendar a lot. And then the reminders in the calendar are super useful because they're not calendar events. They're just little blue tabs that follow you around throughout the week. You can mark them as done. You can move them from a different time, like from one time to another. And then if you don't mark them as completed on the day that they were scheduled for, they follow you. So I have 21 different reminders that follow me from day to day. And when I, when I, if I were to have free time, I would go through those reminders and say, okay, what's highest priority? What do I need to work on next? Do you use the reminders um, for each project as well? Like, like the, you know, the different processes, for example, that come, you know, fall within a project, like up until the point of invoicing a client, or do you use something different for that? That's a great question. I don't use them so much for like client projects as for other tasks, you know, I oh, up, update my invoice template or something like that. Cool. Well, so speaking of that, how do you two decide which aspects of your businesses need more attention right now? What is your process for setting priorities? Jamie? Yeah, a lot of it unfortunately comes down to like what's at the top of my email inbox right now. But um, in in the on the bigger picture, I try to look at the end of each year, and I think Natalie was was touching on this too. I try to reassess where my business is at, and so I think about what went well in the past year, what I need to change in the coming year, and then I set myself reminders once a month to look at that list, that kind of reassessment document that I created at the end of last year. And I look at it every month in the current year so that I remind myself, hey, don't forget to look at the bigger picture and figure out what needs attention. Even if it isn't an urgent pressing matter, it still does matter. It's still important and you need to be keeping on top of it throughout the year. Otherwise you're gonna get to December and realize, oh, I had intended you know, this income goal or I had intended to really focus on marketing to this group. And I, and, you know, I totally forgot about it because I was nose to the grindstone working on urgent projects. Yeah. That's cool. I like that idea of looking at it every month as a reminder. Neat. Um, Natalie, what about you? Um, I Like Jamie, you know, it depends what is urgent. I usually, um, what works well for me is to write down uh, the night before uh, what I'm supposed to be doing and allocating number in order of priority. So I know that number one is this, number two is this, etc. Uh, and of course, um, you know, things change during the day, but um, I'm, you know, I'm very much a, a sort of a paper and, and, and person and I have highlighters and uh, it makes me happy to sort of cross things out when I've done them. So that's in terms of, of, of the day-to-day -day, um, tasks. And uh, um, I think, um, you know, otherwise... Yes, I mean, I, I just tend to, when I have a little bit of time, tend to look at figures, tend to look at um, courses I can do, listen to podcasts and do things like that. Yeah, thanks for sharing all that. So let's talk about um, another important factor uh, when you run your own business, boundaries. We all know how important boundaries are in our professional lives, but they can be hard to set and sometimes even harder to maintain. So what boundaries have you set in your professional lives and what do you do to maintain them? Natalie, what? start with you this time um yes boundaries is a little bit of a tricky one um now I, I do have boundaries um i find them i find it hard to set them because um i thrive on on being helpful and responsive you know uh so it's difficult for me to turn down um things and 
but the one boundary I have mm. is evening, evening work. I do not work in the evening. Whatever happens, I don't remember the last time I worked in an evening. I prefer to do a couple of hours at the weekend um, if I really need to, because I know my week is going to be uh, busy or I'm going to take an afternoon off for an event or, you know, something like that. But in the evening, it's family time and it's recovery time. So... Uh, that's in terms of um, boundaries in, in, in that, in you know, for, for time and, yeah. and work. Right. That is super important to rest and give yourself that time. Jamie, what about you? Oh, yeah. Like Natalie, not my strong suit. <laughs> but um, I think that the, the key thing in boundaries for me is making time for what needs to be done. So um, my husband works from home and um, I think I used to, before he worked from home, when he would go to the office, I felt like I had to be finished with my work by five or six or whenever he would get home so that we could spend quality time together. You know, we don't have any kids. So, um, there wasn't so much that demand on my time, but I felt guilty if he was home and I was working. And now that he works from home, I don't feel that guilty. And so it's even easier <laughs> to not set that boundary and work into the evening or on weekends and so on. Um, but I've found that it's helpful to just schedule things in the evenings and on weekends with other people so that I have a commitment yeah. and, you know, I'm kind of accountable to them. It, it, it would feel bad. I would feel bad if I had to cancel on a friend, right? So I make plans. Um, and, and in terms of work boundaries um, or setting boundaries, like within my work, I, I guess I try to think of my time as money. So I try to um, minimize the amount of work I'm doing that doesn't pay, of course, um, or at least balance out that with good in, you know, good hourly rates so that when I am spending the time on non-paying tasks, it's all balancing out. You know, I'm not working more than mm -hmm. 40 hours a week just to earn a living. Yeah. Yeah. That's very smart. Um, so both of you are part of collectives uh, in the TNI community, working with colleagues to provide more robust service offerings to clients. Can you explain to us and to our listeners what a collective is, in your opinion, and how it works? So let's start with you, Jamie. Tell us about your collective. Sure. So I, I know that collectives come in all shapes and sizes. Um, the Black Squirrel Translator Collective is a group of women freelance Spanish to English translators. So fairly specific. Um, we join together for two purposes. One is to offer joint services and one is to have a shared social space, uh, kind of combating that isolation that we often experience as freelancers. Um we are informal in that we don't have a business structure. We don't have shared business accounts or anything like that, or uh, bank accounts. But we do have a website people can learn about us at. We share files in a Google Drive. We communicate via a shared Slack and so on. So uh, same with Natalie. We have our own separate businesses, our own separate accounts. You know, I have my own separate email address, but we share the infrastructure of our businesses that works for us or that benefits our clients. Um and that has worked for us really well so far. That's awesome. That's uh, very similar to how the collective that I'm part of works. Natalie, what about you? Um, our collective is uh, was formed actually when after we successfully um, collaborated on, on a little project. I mean, it, it started little, uh, became a little bit larger, but it involved the uh, translation of yoga cards and uh, games for children. 
and um, we, it, we, we found that it was a very uh, creative job, partly because all cards, um, you know, the yoga postures were written in, in rhymes. And uh, so that, I mean, we were not a collective at the time. We, were, we met uh, at a co-working space in London and um, this project came about and we decided to, you know, work together. There was also a German translator um, at the time. And uh, after this, uh, we realized the benefits that a collective could have for us, but also um, for the client. And of course, um, for us, it meant that, you know, we were able to compare strategies and, you know, brainstorm, um, make joint decisions, discuss difficulties, and, uh, you know, just find solutions together. And for the client, it meant having a unique point of contact and um, obviously saving time and effort because they only sent one email, <laughs> one invoice. And uh, they also benefited from our collaborative approach and from, I suppose, a, a team um, that was experienced and talented, if I say so myself. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was for, for the clients, it's a win-win, um, you know, situation. And that's, um, you know, the, the collective works. Then we decided to form the collective. Um Yes, so um, I mean, I, I think also what's what's important about um, uh, how a collective work can work successfully, um, it's because uh, it, it it can make you um, stronger and better and more attractive in terms of of a few criteria like quality. You know, we. I don't know about you, Jamie, but you know all our translations are proofread by another linguist. Um, in terms of the industries we serve, because we, you know, we, you know, we specialize in in uh, art, culture, travel, etc. But we all have our strength, and then we all have our different um, experience. And um, I think I think the idea of of the collective for us was to provide. Uh, a premium service. That's great. I love this idea of offering a premium service with colleagues. Um, and that actually cues us to the next question, which is why do you think it's important for freelance translators to work together in this way? And how does someone form a collective if they're interested in doing this? Natalie, let's start with you on this one. Yes. So, you know, as I was saying, it, it just makes you, I think it, 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 it's, um, it improves your, your own business as a translator because you question yourself a little bit more and um, uh, when you work together you you do uh, focus on quality and 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 offering the best uh, it's also you know when when in terms of positive results i think i think um, it's made my own business more focused and more visible and more exciting you know, maybe I had reached a little, uh, not not um, plateau is if that's a word, but you know, this gave me a, a, a little bit more energy and um, yeah. So I don't know if I've answered your question properly, Madalena. Yeah, you have, and I think that's interesting. Um, 
to share that, that perspective as well. So, Jamie, what about you? Um, why do you think it's important for freelance translators to work together in a collective? And if somebody wants to start one, how would they go about doing this? Yeah, I echo everything Natalie said um, on the business side. And I, I think there's, a, you know, I'll talk a little more about that later. But on, on a personal side, too, I see it on, almost as a water cooler. Um, as freelancers, we don't really have a, always an outlet to communicate with people who do what we do or to ask questions or to get feedback. And so having this ready-made group of editors, this um group of people that we're on in contact with on a day-to-day basis is super valuable to me um especially I think you know especially starting out and then also in as we evolve like you guys were saying into kind of offering these premium services starting out you know there's so much um feelings of imposter syndrome and like am I doing a good job uh you know I need support I need validation and I think that a collective can offer that to people um that, you know, we will ask each other on a regular basis. Hey, what is this word that I'm thinking of? I'm gonna hear. I'll describe this word. Somebody help me with this word. And, and <laughs> inevitably, someone comes up with the right word. Or, oh, hey, I have this really terrible client situation. What would you guys do? Or, um, you know, on a regular basis, we have the really illegible handwriting, and someone will post the little screenshot of it, and some, you know, another person will be able to decipher what's being said. So there's so many benefits of um, just surrounding yourself with people that that can be kind of co-workers in a world where co-workers are um, not what they look, used to look like, not in a traditional sense. And I think um, on the, the topic of forming a collective, if you're interested in doing that, it, it came really naturally to us. So I don't you know, our story isn't going to necessarily be the same as everyone else's story, but um, the founding members, Mary McKee, Victoria Travis Cruzy, and Elizabeth Nelson and I had all been at Kent State together in the master's program at one point or another, like overlapping. We weren't all in the same cohort or anything, but we all ended up freelancing full-time around 2016, and we were at this early stage where we were all looking for clients. We were all feeling out our specializations. And at some point we realized we were actually already working together as editors, like on a regular basis. So we said, why don't we just make this a little more formal, put together a collective and that way, you know, we can give ourselves a name. We can advertise ourselves this way. We can create um, a Slack channel so that we all have a better way to communicate. We can share files and it, it saved us a ton of time. You know, we would have endless emails in our inbox if we weren't able to communicate on Slack. Um, so I think anyone who's looking to form a collective, I would say, look at who you're already working with and see, you know, what type of structure you would want to have. Do you want to have a formal, say, partnership where you and one other person work super closely together and you share all of your clients or something? Or do you want to have a more loosely structured group with more people, different specializations, different language pairs where you're kind of uh, meeting at a water cooler and just discussing work and maybe sharing clients here and there? Oh, I like that. That's a really good um, recommendation because there are there are different ways to handle it. Um and what are some positive results that you've seen as well as some challenges related to being in a translator collective? Jamie? Yeah, um, I, I, like like Natalie was saying, there are a lot of great business results um, to being part of a collective. Some of them are really obvious, you know, um, having people to talk to and bounce ideas off of, like I mentioned. But then I think it would all, also say that 
It's made us all able to expand our offerings to our clients in different ways. So one is that if we were to be asked to do a large assignment, and we do have a few clients that will ask for this, really large assignments, and they have super short deadlines. So for example, you know, some client has 50,000 words and they want it in two or three weeks. Um, with the number of people we have in the collective and the availability that we have and the you know, ease with which we work together and the, the way that we know each other's processes really well, we can get something like that done by splitting it up. We all, um, you know, communicate, hey, here's my schedule. Here's the part that I feel most comfortable with in this document. And, you know, someone will usually kind of take on a project management role in that type of situation um, on a project by project basis. Say I'm available at the beginning of the project and I have some free time. So I sit down and I break it out and I figure out who's going to do what part of what documents. Um, so we're able to offer like more rapid services, I guess I would say. Um, and, and we can even leverage TM matches sometimes mm. because, you know, if you've got 30 documents and everyone's working on five or 10 of them, it can be really hard to share, um, share matches and actually leverage them and make sure that you're being consistent in the, the terminology. So we share glossaries, we share TMs and stuff like that. Um, and then additionally, on the, the business side of things, we have different specializations. So say, you know, if a medical project comes in that I get requested for, I often will send it off to one of my colleagues. So it kind of um, allows me to never really have to say no, a hard no <laughs> to a client that I want to be able to, to satisfy, you know. Um, so I'm happy to always pass things on to teammates who are stronger in other areas. Um, and then we're, we're also all certified translators. And like Natalie was mentioning, um, our, our strong preference is to have an editor for every project that we work on, especially when we're signing off on a document like a certified translation. Um, so it's really nice to have this like ready-made group of editors that you can just kind of toss it out to the group and say, hey, I have an editing project that I need done by Friday. Is anybody available? Love that. Cool. And what about you, Natalie? Um, well, I mean, I don't have much to add after Jamie, um, but yes, I, I also think that um, each member of the uh, collective, I mean, for us, it's only, it's only three of us, um, but each member has their own uh, strength and brings something to the table. So, you know, um, someone will be strong at, um, um, you know, organization or at marketing or at writing, um, you know, with writing uh, marketing proposals or so you you benefit from it personally and as a group because uh, you know everything that is brought to the table make um, you know not perfection but closer to perfection and certainly uh, add to add value to uh, to your business and and obviously as a repercussion to the uh, to the client you know it's it's beneficial so i mean um, jamie's been working for uh, the collective is a little bit older than ours ours is only about a year old and we formed during um the lockdown you know during covid so we haven't got an enormous amount of experience as a collective but we are very experienced as individuals so you know we're trying to to consolidate this. 
Great, thank you. So you um, have um, kind of shared already a little bit about how your collectives have started. So we're curious to know um, if you have any advice for other translators who would like to form a collective, how can they go about finding the right colleagues? Um, let's start with you, Natalie. Yes. Um... I mean, I would say that the best way is to uh, meet people um, in person at events and, you know, find, talk to people who have uh, similar interests, similar specializations, or, or, or also something that people don't always think about is business goals. You know, where do you want to go? What would you want to achieve? You know, um, uh, some people will only will be uh, part-time all their life because of other commitments others you know so you need to have uh, points um, in common that that things you share um, I would say that the best uh, place is to find um, people to form a collective with are your networks so for example um, if you belong to the um, ATA or in England but to the ITI or the Chartered Institute of Linguists and you're part of groups, networks, uh, you meet in person or online, uh, working spaces. Um, you know, we, we spend so much time as translators on our own behind our computer that I always encourage, I mean, uh, you know, I, I try to go out at least once a week uh, into London uh, into and, and meet someone, uh, whether it's business or, or, you know, leisure or, you know, related to what I enjoy, art or, you mm -hmm. know, get out yeah. <laughs> and, and meet people. And that's where you'll find that, you know, connections and connections that will be, you know, will trigger maybe things like a, a collective. But obviously, in terms of tra mm -hmm. other translators, you need to be, um, yeah. And I mean, we, Adriana, Carolina and I met in real life and, and, you know, we, we'd met several times. We knew each other very well before we decided to form mm -hmm. the collective. So, you know, there are a few elements um, that um, are important. You know, you need to, to get on, you need to trust, you need to um, have shared values, you know, this type of things. Yeah, so true. Uh, Jamie, what about you? Yeah, I agree with everything that Natalie said. And that the, the one thing I would add is that um, our collective is um, sort of all folks with the same demographic, I guess, in the TNI world. <laughs> um, we're all at a, roughly the same point in our careers. We're all women Kent State graduates, all Spanish to English. Um, and I think that works really well for us. It enables us to offer shared services and support each other in certain ways. But I think it would also be um interesting and and definitely possible to form a collective with people who are very different from you uh, like natalie said as long as you get along well and as long as you have shared values mm -hmm. right but um i think it would be really cool um to see collectives form that were um maybe more of a mentorship type formation mm -hmm. where some people are yeah. very experienced and some people are less experienced and they can learn from one another so you know some might have stronger skills in translation and some might have stronger skills in technology and everybody's you know mutually learning from one another but there's sort of a I don't know if I would call like apprenticeship type 
um, feel mm-hmm. to it. And and we've sort of touched on that a little bit in the Black Squirrel Translator Collective in that um, for the past two summers, we've had internships. So uh, we've taken on one intern each summer from the Kent State program. These are um, folks who are currently in the program that we all graduated from. And so we see it kind of as a way of giving back to the university and um, paying it forward. And, and, you know, we all remember when we were at that point in our careers wondering, you know, where are we going to find clients? How do we ask questions to people? You know, how does this all work? And so um, I think that I could see collectives, you know, forming where um, it's not just a business or personal thing, but it's kind of a a teaching experience and a learning experience for people as well. Mm. Yeah. I love that idea. And just to add on with, with my experience too, I think when when um, my colleagues and I got together and decided to create a collective, two things were helpful. First, we knew each other in person through ATA, through the Slavic Languages Division. We met in person at conferences and uh, we also were part of the um, ATA um, Slavic Language Division uh, practice group for the certification exam. So we have seen each other's work. We have edited and commented on each other's translations as we were preparing for the uh, certification exam. We all passed the exam. We were comfortable with the way uh, we all receive feedback and give feedback to each other. And the second thing that was really helpful is when we first decided to go for it and form a collective, we had a conversation online about what it what it means to each of us and how we envisioned this working. And so that created that extra layer of trust and um, kind of making sure we're on the same wavelength. So that was really helpful. Um, so um, the question to both of you, what are some smart habits or top tip you would give freelance translators who want to form or maintain a translator collective? Um, Jamie, let's start with you. Yeah, well, in the same vein of what I was just saying earlier, I think that um, a willingness to learn from others and a willingness to admit that um, isolation isn't always healthy, I think, is a really good habit to have Um in personal life and in professional life. Just, um, I've seen uh, plenty of examples in my own professional life where um, being willing to be edited and accept criticism and accept feedback from others is really helpful. And that's extra critical when you're working in a collective and there are lots of different Mm -hmm. um, styles, lots of different levels of experience. I think that's kind of um, something that I think people should always be bringing to the table when you form a collective. Yeah, I love it. And Natalie, what about you? Uh, Apart from what Jamie has said, which is absolutely um, vital as well, is um, I I would say uh, be clear about the purpose before you start and um, be also um, a team player because, you know, you're not you're going to be part of a team. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just you. So you need to be a team player and you need to be open and also ready to embrace different ways of working. Um, because, you know, it's, um, sometimes you will need to, to make a few, uh, you know, to, to compromise and, and to accept something or, and, you know, as, as Jamie said, it's, it's, you know, be ready to learn from, from everyone Mm -hmm. in the collective. Yeah. Great. I love it. 
That's super helpful. Yeah. And this was such a great conversation. And we were really grateful that you two joined us today, Jamie and Natalie. Before we wrap up today, we would love it if you would join us for a special segment. We like to ask our guests to share something with our listeners about a favorite book, gadget, or resource. And we call this segment Guest Favorites. So is there anything that you'd like to recommend? Let's start with you again, Natalie. Okay, so um, as a tool, I would probably choose the um, Pomodoro technique um, because, you know, although it's very simple, uh, it really works for me when I struggle to to focus. So some days when there's a lot to do and I feel almost overwhelmed, um, using the Pomodoro technique is absolutely, um, you know, fantastic it works (laughs) it gives me the five minutes to stretch it gives me the half hour to work and and you know one session after another I achieve a lot of work so that's a tool and um, maybe in terms of books I mean I've got a lot of French books as well but you know in terms of English books there's a there's a book uh, written by uh, Nina Sattler of Dar uh, called um, Get Fit for the Future of Transcreation. And I find, oh, yeah. yeah, and uh, I find the book absolutely, um, it's an in, a really useful book for um, first to read and to know exactly what transcreation is about and to, uh, but also once you are a transcreator and you practice as a transcreator, it's a very useful tool to, to as a reference when you need to uh, to remind you how to set rates for some transcreation projects or how to, um, you know, write cost estimates. And she's also got in the book a very um, comprehensive list of of. Um, questions you know frequently asked questions and uh, I find that I refer to it on on a regular basis so it's it's also something that uh, is useful. Cool I love both of those recommendations. What about you Jamie? Yeah the first thing that came to mind is that um, translators and interpreters might actually find this book I'm reading interesting that um, I think everyone else thinks is really nerdy. It's <laughs> called The Mother Tongue, and it's by Bill Bryson. He, I, I was, I, I learned about him because he wrote um, A Walk in the Woods about hiking the Appalachian Trail and a short history of nearly everything. But this is one of his older books. It's um, about English and how it got that way. And uh, it talks a lot about the etymology of words and the history of the English language and then also regionalisms, which I think are very fascinating um, so it's it's generally just like lists of words and and their background, which I think everybody else probably thinks is ridiculous, but I enjoy it, and you all might enjoy it too. Yeah. And it's you know for like a book about a language, it makes me laugh. So I'm enjoying that. That's awesome, um, amazing. Thank you for joining us today, ladies. We had a great time, and we know our colleagues and listeners will enjoy hearing about translator collectives as much as we did today. And before we go, uh, where can our colleagues learn more about you or find you online? Jamie? Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Um, the collective, the Black Squirrel Translator Collective has a website. So we are at www.blacksquirreltranslatorcollective.com. And uh, personally, I'm on Twitter as Tilde Language, T-I-L-D-E Language. Cool. Natalie, what about you? Um, yeah, uh, we are. Uh, you can find the Creative Translation Hub on uh, LinkedIn, 
on Instagram and we've got our own website as well, you know, um, www.creativetranslationhub.com. Perfect. We'll make sure to add those links to our show notes. And uh, as Veronica said, thank you both again. This was such a good episode. And unfortunately, it's all the time we have for today, but we would love to do an episode about interpreter collectives in the future. So if our listeners have a success story to share about an interpreter collective, please email us at hello at smarthabitsfortranslators.com and we may invite you to join us on the podcast. Later in the week, our email subscribers will also get a summary of the episode with all the links to the resources that we mentioned today. So if you're not receiving our emails yet, please sign up on our website, smarthabitsfortranslators.com. And if you like this episode, please follow our podcast, share it with your colleagues and friends, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This only takes a minute, and we have recorded a quick video tutorial to show you how to do it. You'll find it in our show notes. Talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered some simple strategies that you can apply today at work or at home to help you achieve the lifestyle you desire. If you did, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic you want us to cover, please send us a message at hello at smarthabitsfortranslators.com. If you like this episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share the podcast with other translators you know.